0: Hello and welcome to the Sentiva Software Development Podcast. In today's episode, we're talking about user interviews. My name is Blake Kohler and I'm a software developer
1: for Sentiva. My name is Wes Mecham. I'm one of the UX designers here at Sentiva. My name is Tyrell Fan. I'm also a UX designer. All right, user interviews. Why do we
0: even do user interviews? Sorry for the unenlightened question, but <laughs> what do you guys do?
2: <laughs> There's So we use user interviews for a lot of different reasons and we conduct a lot of different user interviews. So one of the, you know, first when we're trying to just understand a project, understand what it is the user's trying to accomplish, be a research interview or a contextual inquiry, where we go on sites and we, we watch them do their job. We try to really get in the mindset of the user and what they're trying to accomplish. While a project's going, we often spend a lot of time meeting with that user again, clarifying things, watching them use software we've built, watching them do other aspects of their job as well as throughout the project, we meet with them online and go over things, show them new mockups, do usability testing, things like that. So a lot, of wide variety of, of things. We try to, I know Ty and I, we try to make sure if, if we haven't talked to a user that week, we, it feels wrong. Like we try to make sure we're at least touching base, uh, you know, multiple times a week, if not more.
1: So one of the things I think that we get out of user interviews um, that really, and maybe interviews is even too strict of a term. They're not always, in fact, usually they're not a formal, like we have set out questions. We're doing, like Wes said, a contextual inquiry, which is us watching them do work. And then our questions are guided by the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things we get out of it, both for us as designers and for the team developing software as a whole, is empathy, right? We're, we're trying to build an understanding about what it is these people do for work, um, and that empathy kind of helps. Honestly, it helps motivate the team in part, right? If you understand the problem you're trying to solve and how you can help people, um, it's really unfulfilling if you're just building software, but you don't understand why. Um, so that's one thing we get out of it, I think, beyond just the knowledge that we need to to do the design, we get empathy.
0: So one thing I've always been curious about when it comes to user interviews is how do you balance the finding out what they really need with listening to what they tell you they want. Right. Cause I've had this experience, right. Where users like I want X thing. And then when they are using it, they actually don't want X thing. Cause they, uh, turns out, I, I think we as humans are actually
2: bad at knowing what we need or want. Um, yeah, yeah. Users are notoriously bad at being able to express the solution to what the problem is. They're really good at telling you their pain. What's, what's causing them pain. What's, you know, a a problem in their, in their work or something, they're bad at seeing the solution to that, but they always, they'll they'll try to give you a solution. So a lot of our job is seeing past what they say to what the actual solution should be,
1: which, which usually involves, honestly, just follow up questions. So we don't, we listen to their proposed solution, log that away. (laughs) Right. And then ask, and then try to just re divert them to what are you, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? What problems are you having? And then, like, just at both as designers and as developers, we live in the software world, so we usually have a better idea of what's possible in software. So our solutions are going to be better, typically. But we have to understand the problem. And so it's just a constant redirection back to the problem.
0: That makes sense. I understand my interactions with every UX person better now, right? I give them a solution they logged that away. <laughs> and Redirect me to what
2: they wanted in the yep. Yep. Uh, okay. yeah. lot, And we use some techniques in our in our interviews to mitigate that to make it so that doesn't happen as often. So that's why we like when we always start our project. We like to start with let's go and sit down and watch you work. We always try to frame it that way. We want to watch you do your job mm-hmm. and learn what it is you're trying to do. Not tell us what you want the new software to do. No, tell us what you're your job goal is and usually that keeps them focused on their objective rather than a solution they might think that they have. And cause you can ask 10 users, you have a 10 different solutions. Our job is to find out from those 10
1: users, what it is they're all trying to do in common and build a solution. That well, and, that. and something that's interesting in the government space, um, we 're almost always replacing a legacy application, right, and so their solutions are always constrained by what the legacy application could do they can't it 's really hard for people to see beyond what they 've been doing for the past twenty years you know they'll they 'll say to us something like,
2: Hey, it takes me three clicks to do this action. If I did this, maybe I could do it in one, but Ty and I will go do ten inter- interviews and find out. They don't need any of those because we can just have the system do it, or that's right, ancillary to uh, their main goal
0: you know, I wonder if if that's a problem that happens even outside of government is that we're restricted a little bit by solutions you've seen in the past right you see yes. that all the time of people saying, well it's uber for cupcakes
1: well, yeah well, yeah
0: couldn't why does it have to be a solution that's already made and reapplied somewhere else like that kind of constricts what we can do anyways um, but all of this is a little more I don't know a better way to say it, but touchy feely. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you sell uh, an organization like the federal government on this touchy feely approach? I can understand a stakeholder being like, no, nope, you built this thing. I, this is what I told you to
2: build, build this thing.
1: They say it? that all the, they say that all the time.
0: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> and it usually, it usually starts off. I, I think what you said, having to sell them is a good, uh, a good word because usually our projects start off when they don't want us to talk to users because they've already done it and they already know what people want. Right. Um, but one thing that a a lot of people sometimes forget when it comes to UX design and software development is they are experts in whatever job function they're doing. Like that's what they're really good at. And we're not, we're not the experts. say as a nuclear engineer, you know, I, I don't know how to do that. What we are good at is designing useful and usable software and that might not, that's not necessarily their skill. And so we need to take their knowledge and apply our skill to what the problem they're trying to solve.
1: Which I think is how we've sold it almost everywhere, which is a combination of essentially convincing them, Hey, we're experts at software development, like Wes just said, but we need context to begin. We can't just do what you say because we don't even understand what you're saying. So in some ways we're, we're selling them on the initial idea of really through our incompetence on their process but our competence in software. Mm-hmm. And then once we interact with the people who use the software, they have good experiences, then we're turning around software that they can see. Then the people who started out not thinking they were gonna direct the process buy into that. They buy into it because they, the people underneath them are saying, hey, we're liking this, and they're seeing results, which in traditional government software waterfall development, you don't see.
2: So Ty and I, we've done hundreds, if not thousands, of user interviews, and it's funny. A lot of these projects start out where we've had them tell us, stakeholders tell us, the users are upset, Right. be careful when you talk to users, they're going to be angry. They've been
1: talking for three years about this.
2: But what always happens, and I would say 99% of the time, there might be the one, occasional one or two that remains grumpy, but when we approach them of, we want to watch you do your job, tell us what you do. Everyone responds well to that. And then they, and I, I think it's because they feel like we are trying to understand them so that we can help them. We're not trying right. to,
1: we're their advocate in helping yeah. them improve their job. Yeah.
2: And we're like a, a salesman might come and say, we're going to give you this thing. We go to them and say, tell us what you need it to do. And they respond to that really well. And so users usually are really happy and, I almost never have a negative. User. And, and
1: you've got to think in government too. Some of these job functions—I mean, some of the jobs we're interviewing people about—are I receive this piece of paper, I put it into this system, and I make a call and I file the paper, and nobody has ever expressed any interest. <laughs> and what it is they do. So it's really a positive to come in and yeah, say, hey, I'm, I wanna know what you do. I wanna know what you struggle with, What what's great, what's terrible about your job.
0: So I mentioned in some instances, they're really excited to to share. And in fact, I had an interesting uh, experience where I was uh, accidentally part of an in, a user interview, you could say. And so as a software developer, obviously I don't normally participate in these, but I was in a focus group where I was listening to how users use things And I had a user say, hey, can I show you something on my computer? So I said, sure. So we go to their cubicle, sit down, and she proceeds for 15 minutes to show me exactly what she does and why the software doesn't work for her, (laughs) and then give me a bunch of solutions. No matter how many times I tried to talk myself out of that cubicle, I was there way longer than I wanted (laughs) to be because she wanted someone to hear and listen. And I think, hey, that's a a good indicator. People want to share these because they they feel this pain and they want to share it and want to find solutions, but also probably an indicator that you have
2: to have some interesting experiences doing these interviews. Oh, yeah. Yeah, There's, there's been a lot of funny and interesting uh, situations that, that pop up that, you know, we look back on and sometimes laugh or sometimes, you know, like, oh, that was I was... I going to say <laughs> cry. I've cried a couple <laughs> of times. <cry, yeah. laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Is there any in particular you can think of that, that really uh, come to mind when you think of a, a funny or interesting user interview? So...
2: Uh, one I remember doing was was with a lady, and she she was having a hard time. We were, we tried doing a couple online usability tests with her, and I couldn't figure out why, but um, the the tests were going poorly. She kept failing, uh, so we kept wondering why what is, what is it about our design? Why is this failing? Um, and I mean, going terribly, going slow, and everything. We we finally were able to do an on-site one with her and watch her do it. And it was very apparent, really easy, really quickly about why it was failing. And it's because the way she had her desk set up, she couldn't see her keyboard and because her keyboard was <laughs> underneath the desk. And so she could never find the tab button to get to the next field. Right. And her mouse was so far away that it was hard to grab. And so tab wasn't an option and mouse. So, <laughs> but, so we quickly learned that's why it's failing. Okay. This is not a software problem. This is, this is she can't use the tab or the mouse
1: yeah. <laughs> her computer is not accessible. I oh, am any other interesting experiences. That um, you This had? was from, this is actually not at Centiva, but one of my favorite user interviews, um, we were a uh, really contextual inquiry. So we were there to watch um, them use the software. This is in a county court setting. And we were going to sit behind the bench while the clerk and the judge use the software that we had developed um, and just really interesting people this was in Oklahoma. we were doing a tour a tour of the south and um, we met the judge. he was really nice. he had us in his chambers and was talking to us about what we were going to do that day and um, he was an older southern guy, and he had his clerk come he said, "Hey, you know, get me my robe. they were ready to go out, and so she comes and she's Putting him in his robe, and he said, "Now, boys, I want you to know something." Like, "Okay, yes, sir." When I put on this robe, I'm never wrong. Like, "Yes, sir." (laughs) So we went. (laughs) We we went into court, um, and it was it was fun. Like, I (laughs) we learned. So I'll tell you a little bit. So we we did arraignments, and it's just people coming up, right? And he's he probably spends, we actually, this is one of the things that was really interesting, watching them use the software with what was happening in real life. But we calculated, I think he spent an average of 23 seconds per person that day. Some people he talked to for two minutes, some people he talked to for five seconds, but he averaged maybe like 23 seconds. And so the functions of the software had to um, be able to be completed within that type of time frame for each arraignment. Um, and it was a hoot to listen to this guy during the whole thing, but he, every single person, he would say, now, have you read the terms of your probation? Every single person would say yes. And then he would say, all right, I say this to everyone. So when you come back next time and you violated your probation, I'm gonna put you in jail. <laughs> Yes, sir. And I think we had two people that day came up crying and he said, and he said, did you know that was in your probation? No, sir. Then why did you tell me you had read the terms of your probation last time you were here? I didn't, I didn't jail." <laughs> 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 he had a, he had a method, but really interesting, really interesting to sit and do those kinds of contextual grace on people too. It was interesting. As you
0: do these interviews, is there anything that sticks out as, uh an interview or, or something you gained that became something or changed something in software you've been building? Is there a feature or a, a, something that you built that w- you can directly link to an interview that you had?
1: I have one I want to talk about, and Wes can add to this, because we both did these. But we um, we were building... This is just actually at the very initial research phase of um, software for nuclear engineers um, for tracking their inspections. Um, we found out early on through interviews that every branch and they are divided in the government, they're typically divided into branches that do specific functions, but every branch had somebody who scheduled that branch's activities for the year. And as we started meeting each of these schedulers, and this was something we didn't know was a distinct job function going into it, but they all had their own spreadsheets or a mix of spreadsheets and outlook, right? And they had this really specific way of scheduling nuclear inspections. They had to do it one to two years ahead of time. There were specific data points um, mm. and it was something going into it that we didn't know we were going to build this feature.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the more interesting parts about that story is like Ty said, that wasn't their their job title their job title is still nuclear engineer yeah. they just they picked one nuclear engineer per branch to be the scheduler and so we met with multiple of these schedulers and what was interesting is the old software didn't do this the what really turned us on to that we needed to provide this in the new software, so it wasn't anywhere in the requirements or anything like that. What turned us onto it was every one of these schedulers had a spreadsheet taped mm-hmm. to the wall or on their desk. Or their and, and their so, front door so other people could see it. Yeah. And so it was something we saw by being in their physical space, which really helped us understand, oh, this is important. This was important enough that they tape it to their wall or their desk. And that's not something you would have gotten that we would have gotten had we done in any online, other way anything. And yeah. And it almost was something they didn't talk about. They just talked about that they do this thing and they would point at it, but not talk about how the actual mechanics of going into filling this thing out. They would just say, I scheduled this thing in January. So we've been just listening to that. We would have made something to schedule in January, but not represent it maybe the way that they wanted to have, they've been showing it on the wall. Awesome.
0: Well guys, we really appreciate your time and thank you for listening to this episode of the Sentiva software development podcast.